Emma, could you maybe just start by just telling me a little bit about yourself? Um, so I am a photographer and, um, oh my God, sorry, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. So I'm a photographer living in Melbourne and wrote recently about my experience of having my identity stolen. Yeah, thank you. I know that it must be a bit strange to be asked to explain who you are in the context of of having this conversation about how someone actually tried to, to take that from you. Yeah, the experience of talking about having lost my identity and just like all of this online and this it all happening in the pandemic it's just it was just like so surreal mm, yeah that that makes a lot of sense I can I can definitely understand that and I don't know if this was actually a conscious thing or not and I don't want to read too much into it but I did notice that when you introduced yourself you you actually didn't um you didn't say your name yeah I know I just I think I still feel a little bit uncomfortable in this like like publicly speaking about this, it does feel like kind of exposing. I just felt so watched, I think, and surveyed that I've just, I'm just really conscious about doing this, like talking about this publicly. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. It's been two weeks since millions of Australians learned their data might have been compromised in the Optus hack. Since then, other data breaches have been revealed and the precarious nature of the way our personal information is often stored is becoming clear. So what actually happens when someone tries to steal your identity? Today, contributor to the Saturday paper, Emma Phillips, on how it feels to lose control of your identity and her fight to get it back. It's Thursday, October 20. Emma, you wrote about the experience of having your identity stolen. Could you take me back to the first thing that happened? What was the the beginning of that for you? Um, so I guess it probably started with a burglary. At the time I was living in Melbourne, it was a few months into the pandemic. I was living with my boyfriend at the time and a housemate. I woke up in the morning and had a call from the Combank Fraud Department. And as I was walking around on the phone to this representative from the Combank, I started to see signs that we had most certainly been burgled. There'd been people in our house while we had been asleep. A few items were stolen, including my car licence. And then a few months later, I received an email from a bank that I bank with. It was informing me that my details of my bank account had been updated. And I was just really suspicious about that. And so I called them immediately. And while I was on the phone to them, actually, I logged on to internet banking. I could see that my phone number had changed and was an unfamiliar phone number. And I could see that it was an unfamiliar email address. But when I was connected to some, like a representative from the bank, they just changed my details back. And then they launched a fraud investigation. The next day, someone from the bank called me and let me know that someone had actually called up with all of the correct identification details and then changed all of my details. So I guess that was probably the first event that caused me to sort of think, oh, that's really strange. I had just assumed that it was some sort of cyber hacking up until that point. 
So at first it seemed like this was some sort of generic hacking, not something that was necessarily targeted at you. So when did you start to realise the the full extent of what was happening? So I guess when I began to realise the extent of the attempt to gain access to my account was when I went into ComBank and asked them if there were any attempts to gain access to my account. And when I was talking to the teller, she was like, oh, yeah, actually, somebody tried to gain access to your account yesterday in in Point Cook. Was that you? And then she mentioned, the bank teller mentioned, the only reason the money wasn't withdrawn was that the licence was expired at that time. All of a sudden, my heart just kind of sunk and I just kind of realised that this was actually something quite serious and that this wasn't just some routine data breach that was occurring online. It was more targeted and more specific to me and my identity, I guess, or whatever an identity means. At that moment in, in in the few hours after that, the whole thing began to unravel. So how did it begin to unravel? What happened next? So from that point onwards, each day for about a two-week period, there were just more attempts to gain access to a really broad range of accounts. So my Medicare account was a really big one. Vic Roads, there were multiple attempts to take out credit in my name and various accounts had been opened in my name, you know, Car Next Door, Latitude Pay, Wiser Finance, just various organisations that I, I didn't have accounts with them. I was spending days at a time trying to claim back all of the accounts that had been compromised. It was like Groundhog Day. I would just be on hold on the phone, waiting to contact Medicare, waiting to contact Vic Roads or Australia Post. So it was really overwhelming the number of tasks I had to undergo in terms of trying to reclaim my identity. People were calling up pretending to be me and ordering new cards online. And then they were also going into Vic Road's branches and impersonating me, trying to get new licenses as well. And so there was this sense that I had that there were many organisations that didn't really have structures or procedures in place to protect my information that was something that I was continuously concerned about because I was having to call up and check each day or each few days if there had been more attempts to access my accounts. Okay, so at this point, Emma, what did you see as your options? I mean, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of options, I suppose. The police were not very helpful in my experience. Um, Obviously, I reported a cyber crime, which one is able to do online, but nobody would give me a police report. But I was in such a conundrum because I wasn't able to to prove that the fraud had taken place. In order to get a new driver's licence number, I had to have a police report. So there was, yeah, very little help that was available and I began to feel like I was like some agent investigating myself, which was also a surreal feeling, I think, at the time. I don't know whether I would say that I felt like a victim, but I definitely felt extremely exposed and alone. Like I could objectively realise that and understand that the point of the crimes were to extract as much capital as possible, but... 
I began to realise just how much of information they had about me and how much they knew about me, yet I knew nothing about them. I work as a photographer and I'm used to watching other people and all of a sudden I felt like I was being watched and there was no start and end point of that feeling. It was just continuous. And so I felt, quite frankly, I felt scared. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday Paper, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Emma, after having your identity compromised in this way, after having a person or, or multiple people try and impersonate you, steal your money, take out accounts in your name, how has this changed the way that you, you interact with the world, both as your, your online and, and offline self? I definitely feel differently and I definitely behave differently as well. Like I don't allow a lot of people to have my phone number and I have like a shadow email address. I use an email address that is separate for all of my accounts that people don't know. It it sounds probably kind of strange, but I just felt that if people know your email address, like that's constantly used as a username for a lot of online accounts. And I guess the thing about the identity theft is if you gain access to one account, then that's just like they're collecting information on you. And so I felt, I think, extremely vulnerable. I ordered shutters for my house. I, I got a new back fence. I really like increased my security, but I still, and to this day, I still feel unsafe. And at one point you even considered going to the length of, of changing your name? Yeah, I did feel that way. I did consider in the depths of my despair if I should perhaps change my name. And I did wonder and have wondered since, like, what does make up an identity? That's something that I consider as well. So, yeah, I didn't end up changing my name, but I pretty much changed everything else. I think that once you lose aspects of your identity, you're never able to really gain them back, which is ultimately why I did consider changing my name. I did feel at the time and still feel actually that that perhaps is one way to ensure that the fraud would stop. Mm. And it sounds like you've essentially given up on the idea of actually finding out who who's done it and pursuing it in any way. I don't think it's a possibility. I don't think I'll ever know who the person or people were that were trying to access my accounts. And in light of, you know, the multiple data breaches that have taken place in recent weeks, I just think that people don't really 
understand how at risk they are. From something as small as a driver's license, it just can cause so much grief and pain when it ends up in the wrong hands and don't really want to be known as somebody whose identity was stolen. But in speaking about this, you know, to a wider audience, I do feel that hopefully it can help people. And I know that when I went through this, there was very little resources available. So I hope that in due course that will change and more people will become aware of the potential risks. And Emma, after all of this, after changing your ID documents and your details and your passwords with all of these different institutions, just a couple of weeks ago, you you got an email from Optus, didn't you? Well, yeah. So I haven't had an account with Optus since 2014, but I did receive an email saying that my driver's licence had been lost in the, the Optus hack. That must have just felt awful. <laughs> It was definitely concerning. I mean, it it was my old driver's licence number. So I guess my fears were kind of parlayed a little bit. But I'm concerned for other people, not really understanding perhaps the extent of grief this sort of information loss can eventually cause. Emma, thank you so much for talking to me about all of this. I really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I know it, it can't have been easy. Thanks, Ruby. I appreciate that. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, Immigration Minister Andrew Giles yesterday declared that temporary protection visas for refugees are cruel and undermine a fair go. Labor promised before the election to end the temporary nature of refugee protection visas, but so far has not enacted an alternative. And Pauline Hansen has been ordered to pay $250,000 in damages to her former One Nation colleague, Brian Burston. The judge ruled Hansen had defamed him in a television interview after he'd left the party where she accused him of sexual abuse and other harassment. However, the judge found that in two of the eight imputations, there was evidence to establish that Burston had sexually harassed a former colleague by sexually propositioning her and had sexually harassed a second staffer over a prolonged period. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.